Welcome back to the Athlete Hackers Podcast. My name is Chris Schrade. And I am Mark Spellman. It is my honor, my privilege, my sincerest, greatest happiness to introduce our guest today, Coach, jo Coach Justin Cavanaugh. To those that know him, Coach Cav. Uh, performance, performance coach, speed enhancement coach, uh, CEO, owner of the Sport, uh, the Sport and Speed Institute. One of the things that we haven't had on is a best-selling author, author on our on our podcast of Man Up: The Five Areas of Focus to Your Athletic Success. Coach Cav, Mark. it is a pleasure and honor to have you on our podcast, the Athlete Hackers. How are you today? I'm fantastic, Mark. Chris, thanks pleasure. for coming on, Coach. It'll be a lot of fun. If it's anything like the conversation Mark had the last time we were in person, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah, I had to stop you guys from talking before I had to click record because you guys are providing too much material as it, as it was. So this is going to be a good one. Most of the times in coaching, those are where all the, the fun stuff is. It's in the hallways or in the, in the cookouts. It's not actually in the weight room or in the classroom. Coach Caff, for those people that are not familiar with you and your work and what you do, uh, give them, you can give them the long version if you want, because I'd love to hear it. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll do the, um, the shortest version I could. Uh, long story short, born and raised in Miami. I was a five-sport athlete. Had a lot of success as an athlete growing up in, in the area I did. Um, the environment in which I grew up, sports is a, a priority. It's, it's one of those things in which you are recognized. It's an area in which um, your social um, you know, view from the environment uh, is one in which they appreciate what you do. But as we all know, just like in anything in life, it, it's what have you done for me lately is the feeling. So, um, but uh, I learned really, I learned early on that sports has a, an amazing ability to cut through to people, right? It's you put your, put your face mask on, you shake hands, you know, you, you touch gloves, whatever the, the, the discipline is, there's rules to the game and there's kind of um, uh, lines, like even in track and field where you're not necessarily physically going up against another body strategically, there is, uh, there's a start and there's an end. There's a line that you don't cross if you're uh, throwing the javelin. There's a, there's a circle that keeps you confined in the discus or in the shot put, you know? There's a, in the oval, there's, there's lanes, right? And um, you, you look at, people from all walks of life and everybody understands the rules of the game and they stay in their lane and they do their best in their lane. Um, and it actually, there's a component of, of when you do your best, you pull other people, right? So you see one person break a record and then the next person right behind them beats them. You see a race where someone's like coming around the bend really, really hard, harder than they thought. And they said, you know what? I'm not going to let that guy, that's not my strategy, but I'm not going to let that guy turn the corner on me. And they start moving faster and competing with each other. They're in their lane, but they're doing their best. And what, it, what, that, what ends up happening is it produces these kind of unhuman results, things in which we didn't think were possible. So I loved um, just this competitive nature of sports. It was why I went to school. You know, I like to think of myself as educated at some capacity now. But when I was younger, I absolutely checked the box. I was just going to school because I had to in order to show up to play and practice. So um, now fast forward into my coaching career. What happened was I 
grew up in an era which was very, um, you know, condensed with high level athletes. And I became friends with a lot of them because we would always work together and just be around certain people. And one of my friends happened to get um, screwed by his agent and his trainer. They found out that they were stealing money from him. That basically changed everything for me because what it did, he walked up to me, he goes, Cab, you're training me. And I'm like, what, what do you mean I'm training you? Like I was in high school at the time, right? And um, this person is, you know, a few years older than me and he's, you know, getting ready for the NFL draft. And he's like, I trust you. Therefore, you're training me. And I'm like, training you? Like, I, I don't even know what to train myself. But it was one of those moments where you realize if a guy's going to basically, you know, throw hands for you, then you, he's gonna, you're going you're gonna to do everything in your power to take care of him. That's the type of people that we were around. And uh, at that point, it was like, okay, cool. I have an obligation to do a darn good job because this is a person's career on the line. And I knew at that point, like every relationship I ever had stemmed off of trust. It, it, it was built off of the idea that as long as I do right by the athlete, I'll be okay. But as time moves on and you start to have other opportunities present yourself, I've watched other coaches basically start it for that reason. But then they get swayed away to the glory. They get swayed away to the money. They get swayed away to the logo. They get swayed away to the opportunity. And I've always kind of kept that front and center in what I do, which is, you know, the athlete's goal is the coach's agenda. And nothing, nothing comes between that. Anything that does, you cut it out of the equation. And that was um, how I approached everything from my coaching to my business. And it's, you know, paid dividends. I mean, August is going to be 20 years of me doing this. I, I consider myself very young in this field. I know we don't have a lot of legacy coaches. There's just not many of them that actually stick around for a long time because of just the nature of how tough it is, you know, on the body and, and, and the stress in the family. But I actually think of myself as a bit of a, a, a rookie, someone who has spent, you know, a lot of time doing something, but has not truly, um, you know, reached a level in which my, maybe my resume shows I had, but for me internally, there's just so much to learn. And the people that I look up to, um, and then they've been doing it longer than I've actually been alive. And I, I find that to be fascinating. So fast track, you know, uh, after college, which was um, basically fast track because of a major injury, um, I went full-time into coaching. You know, that's the, that's the short version. The real version is, is after I got hurt, I fight, I tried to work hard to get back to playing and it just, I just didn't have it, you know, but nobody wants to hear that. Right. And I think now, you know, as many years as I've been doing both podcasts and interviews and conversations, it's a nice story to tell like, Hey, I got hurt. And I immediately, I focused my energy on coaching. That's not the truth. The real truth, the, the stuff that sucks is the fact that I actually worked my ass off hard to try to go back to play. And um, and having that conversation with your family, having that conversation with the people around you that love you and care about you, your coaches and say, Hey, listen, I, I don't want to see you do this. Like you're just, you, you're, you think you have it, your, your head has it, your emotion has it. I get it, but, but I'm worried about your health. And th these are the things that, these are the conversations that we don't have nowadays. Um, but that's the truth. That's what happened. And in the meantime, I was just working and doing what I needed to do to keep playing and to keep, you know, you know, keep the lights on and, and to keep growing as a, as a, as a person. So it's I, think, I think, I think what most people understand or, or don't, or especially younger coaches nowadays, they don't look at the coaches that have been in doing what we've been doing for over 20 years and understand that this didn't happen overnight. 
Yeah. You know, it's like you graduate from school, you get your piece of paper and and hopefully you get certifications. And but but at the same time, you're also talking about being a rookie after 20 years. So you're continuing to always learn. You know, when when I first got in it, I, I was lucky enough to work with Dan Riley for a summer who was with the Redskins. He's like, Mark, the second somebody tells that tells you that they're an expert or there's only one way to do this, walk away from them. You know, he's spot on. And, and I and I respect the people that have dived deep into single subjects, but I wrote this today on a post. Um, um, somebody wrote, uh, did a video of Hank Krasinov talking about like, you know, kind of the factors of coaching and training and everything. And I go, man, like everybody is looking for the person that has figured one thing out. Like they've just mastered this one thing and they've turned it into a fad or they've turned it into a little bit of a trend. And it's a singular component to the world in which we address athletes at physical or mental preparation. And yet they don't even know it probably as good as Hank or as good as like some of the people that I look at. And yet Hank probably knows that much um, about more about that single subject than the person that's got the mastering of marketing uh, in that area and has like named it and created it and everything else. But he also knows that about so many subjects that we don't even know to even think of because of wisdom and perspective. I mean, you have a little bit of age on me and, and that, <laughs> that, that wisdom though, that gives you perspective. You look at things differently than I would. And, and even if I disagree with you philosophically around training or around a concept, I would be very, very um, naive to think that, that I know more than you just because I'm doing different things. Because I, the wisdom I, sees the, the sees things that we couldn't see. It's just a higher perspective. Well, and I think one of the mistakes that some older coaches make is that they don't think that they can think that they should be able to learn from younger coaches. Like I, I one of my, one of my bigger growths as a profession came when I was at uh, George Washington University, and my my grad assistant uh, Dan Black, who was working with me. I mean, he opened my eyes to a lot of different things as far as movement and speed enhancement. So, you know, I learn more from my athletes than I do from, you know, books or anything else. That athletes are the ones that teach me because as we start applying stuff, we go, oh shit, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? And then you go, oh man, like this stuff didn't happen. This is going on. Like I, we have an athlete right now that, um, I'm going to say this on this podcast and it probably live forever. Hopefully it doesn't do me wrong, but he's one of my favorite people I've ever worked with. One of my favorite athletes. And here I am going on, you know, this is going into year 20 and I'm finally finding one of my favorites, right? And I've learned a, a number of things about that, like how to deal with him, how, how, how does it make me show up, right, as a coach? What, 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 does that, what does that mean? But he had a car accident when he was younger, you know, right before college. And he's, his entire, like, back of his leg looks like he's got a dang you know, bear claw print on it, right? Like a falcon, it's like completely tore up, it's like this. And um, to think that that scar tissue doesn't affect the muscle and everything else that's going on and the nerves and how things pull would be, you know, just very, very, um, you know, immature in coaching. So you have to take that into consideration. Um, but we also have to understand that maybe some of those things that he went through in his life is what causes him to be so great, right? Whether it be the sacrifices he has to make or the things that he's went through to build back other areas. And every day that you're with athletes like that, there's something that they can teach you. 
And that's just the way I've approached it. I've used my own athletic ability, you know, not as great as the athletes I get the chance to work with on a regular basis, but I, I was, I'm a serious competitor in anything I do. And I wanted to seek out the best in everything by doing that. You realize the answers aren't in those books. You know, the answers are, they're, they're not even in the presentations or in the seminars, the answers and actually the person putting the work in for eight to nine years. And you go, this is what we figured out this much. We figured out just this little bit over doing it, you know, doing it for over, you know, eight to 10 years with the same athlete. And that's the stuff. That's the secret sauce. The secret sauce is the, the show up every day. And you it, one day it just goes, oh man, like I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting the parallels the more and more we do this podcast um a lot of my background is in martial arts between coaching and martial arts and when i was studying martial arts one of my teachers and, and this is a major tenant within martial arts you know he he said if you want to achieve the next level you have to start teaching people you know of course you because it's so that whole concept of when you go and you try to teach it, you're learning. So it's the same thing, like you said, learning from your athletes. If you want to understand more, if you want to become better yourself, then teach it and you're going to get the feedback and you're going to learn from those, those athletes or those students. So two things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say in response to that, because I think I want to make sure that people that are listening to this, coaches, if you're listening to this, or if you're an athlete and you're listening to this, there's two things I want you to think about based upon what Chris said. The first one is the only people I tell to become a martial artist are people that truly want to master their game. If they want to master their game, because martial artists need to master themselves. They have to. If not, um, they get themselves killed. That's what happens. Like they're, When you play a game, um, where the, the rules uh, protect you from, from health, right? And the penalties potentially in sportsman likes they protect you from mental health, right? Or emotional damage, right? That's different. But when, you, when you're, you're in a martial arts, you, you can't play that. You can't play that fighting game, right? And the first part about that is about mastering oneself so that you could then, you know, put that on other people. So at the highest level, when people ask me about my athletes, I say, you know, become a martial artist. And it's this idea that you understand who you are before you start to go into other environments, right? There's, there's self-awareness, right? There's social awareness and there's situational awareness, right? And you can't have any of those other ones that don't, if, if the preceding factor isn't met. And the, um, the second thing is as, as you start your career and as you you start learning from other people. In your coaching career, you move very, very far away from actually doing the work. You just start to learn the work. And as much as it's important for you to teach, you won't know what that feels like unless you've actually done it, right? You know, it's really easy to shake hands with a man and go, that guy's got working hands. Like he knows how to take care of himself or he does manual labor. Like, you know it, there's just something about a person when you, sh you stick your hand out and you shake their hand that you know, this guy ain't getting manicures every day. And there's something about coaches nowadays that you look at their hands and they just, they haven't, they haven't put the work in. There's just, it's not even a callous issue as much as it is. They don't know how to grip things. Like the stuff that goes on the internet nowadays 
doesn't have a filtering mechanism. Whereas back in the day, if we were in the gym, we did dumb things too. Like everyone, like we weren't just perfect. We tried stupid exercises. We tried dumb activities, except we had a friend that said, you're an idiot. And oh crap, look at us. We realized quickly that this is not what we wanted to, this is not going to create the outcome we want. So we then, paid the price and injury. Exactly. So then it never made it out to the world because that became the, the internal joke a little bit. Today's day and age, they do something dumb. They've never produced a result with it. It looks cool though. They put it on Instagram, they put it on TV and it, 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 it blows up. That's what happens. Or, or even better, I, because uh, right now I'm in the private sector, I'll have one of my clients or, or athletes come in and go, yeah, I saw this on TikTok. I was like, oh, oh, oh please man. don't do that. <laughs> and you, you know what? I love it. I love that they're doing that. I love that they're sharing it. But good gosh, it would be really nice if we could all just um, just come together and be like, hey, let's just let's just talk about this for a second and really give me your intention. I used to do a segment. Uh, I did it on YouTube for a while and I did it with our, all of our interns. I used to say all of our coaches once a week, you guys are you could pull all of the stuff every single week, your favorite Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever it is, pull your favorite exercises up that you like, or you see that you don't know what they do. And we're going to put them up on a board. We're going to put them up on a TV and I'm just going to walk you through them. And I'd spend about 30 minutes to hour and a half, just shitting on everybody in the industry. Cause I'm like, damn, like, I like that guy, but that might be one of the dumbest things I've seen, you know, but Hey, I like the person, but I would never hire that and do that as a coach. Like I would never do that. Um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but we have clear evidence that that is going to get someone hurt, but Go ahead and do it. And it might get you some more followers. You know, if I had a six pack, it would get more followers. That's just the reality of the world that we're in. So, and I'm, I don't I'm, have a six pack. I don't have that many followers. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. There's a lot there. <laughs> um, I'm going to attack this from a different way. Um, a young, a young athlete comes to you, male, female, doesn't really matter. Um, doesn't really matter the sport either they show up day one at your door with their parents what are you looking for um as far as that athlete what are you looking for from that family um to decide that you're going to work with them so you know when you just as you presented that question when you said what am i looking for from that family um i think it's our coaches i think it's the coach's job to navigate um the the athlete parent relationship because I just don't think naturally they, they know how to do it. And you have to almost teach people how to do business with you. And part of that is how you teach parents of what lines are within the dynamic of you and your coaching. You don't need to teach them how to be mom and dad. That's not your job. That's not the hat you want them to wear. You know, like you're not trying to wear that hat too, but you're sure as heck not going to be accepting of them kind of coming into your lane. So how you work with them is critical. And part of that is bringing them in and talking to them about, hey, how does this work? So if I you know, started this conversation with athletes first, right? Anything, you know, our obligation is to the athlete's goal and anything that comes between that, I'm cutting down to the equation. If that happens to be you at any point in time, mom or dad, I'm gonna cut you out and you're not gonna like that. So I'm, I don't play baseball. I'm not going to give you three strike warnings. I'm going to tell you once of what I see, 
And then I'm going to be very blunt with the next direction on how we proceed with what's going on. So I, I think that you do need to teach. Um, you have like customer journeys, just like with business, right? You have somebody come into you and you work them through a process. There's a program, there's a place, there's a thing in place. Well, you have to have one of those journeys for the parent as well, because they're dealing with different, uh, different stages of, of psychological ups and downs through the athletic process as much as the athlete is dealing with ups and downs, right? You know, in the beginning, the parents are probably more going, depending on the type of athlete, um, the parents are probably more pumped. If the parents are bringing them to you, they're probably more excited about the results and what's going to happen to the athlete than what the athlete is. But we know that this happens over time. So the athlete has to put the work in over a period of time in order to get an output. So in this gap now, this parent's excitement and the athlete realizing how much work it's going to take, there's a gap there. And that's, that, that's, a, that's an interference to the momentum that you want to create with the athlete and to the end result. Because now there's going to be doubts. The athlete's putting all this work in. Their expectations are here. And in that timing, it needs to get to this. Like it needs to cross. But if, that, if a parent screws it up within that window, it slows down your progress. So it's our job to start saying, hey, I got this. I'll take it from here. Athlete, this is where you are. This is where we're going. Look at what's happening and see this trajectory. It's so are you... Are you saying that you see a lot in parents that um, they see the possible outcome of their athlete and they're emotionally attached to it? They're putting that on their child and they're not taking into account or, or parenting the way they should about the grind that getting to that level is going to take a hell of a lot of hard work out of the athlete. And that's where the disconnect is between the parent and the athlete. Well, they, the, the, the parent compartmentalizes the athlete's goal, but they don't compartmentalize the athlete's life. So they basically have said they're, they're going to bring up what the athlete is doing in regarding a result or an output on a regular basis, but they forget the fact that that, that athlete is their son or daughter. And, and when they're at the dinner table and they're bringing that back up, it's like, we wouldn't be talking about their technique of their, their bench or their squat or, or the way that they're running while they're eating lunch. Right. So why like, it's the same thing where there's, it's a technical coaching cue, but the parents giving that technical coaching cue about their demeanor and everything about them psychologically while they're doing something completely uh, different than the activity. So there's a disconnect between the work that's being done and, and, and um, the feedback. And that creates an emotional disattachment from the athlete to the parent. It's one of the biggest risks that's created. So I believe it's our job as a coach to explain to them how they actually have to ap operate. Remember, th this is their one kid, maybe two or three or four, whoever's putting them out. But this might be just their one kid. And as coaches, this might be our thousand. 2000. So I might not have seen Johnny before, but I've seen 800 of that same person and that similar dad or mom in the circumstances and the goals in which he wants to accomplish. So that's how I approach it. Now to the athlete, I look at it and I go, Hey, you get decisions every day, right? So in business, I have a, uh, I have a coach, his name's uh, Simon Bowen, one of the smartest guys I ever met. He's in Australia and he has this green line chart, right? He talks about just living on the green line. And basically what it means is, you know, you look at a trajectory to anything you do, like from a timeline, today's the day. And we know that, and let's say a year from now, we're going to be here. Like we know that, right? Time is going to pass. And there's, you know, the first path is like, we, 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 
we make the right decisions and we accomplish our goals. So the chart goes like this and then shoots right up to the top, right? And all of a sudden, this decision that we wanted and our daily actions every single day aligned and we basically hit it. Like our ambitions and our actions are together. And all of a sudden, we accomplished our goal. That's amazing. Then second is we did it. We were completely distracted. We lost sight. We didn't put the actions that were aligned with our, 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 our goals. And all of a sudden, we missed it. So that, th that line tanks, right? That's what we call the red line. And then there's this kind of indecisive line, right? This is the yellow or amber line. And basically it just goes up and down. That's the non-consistency, non-discipline line, right? And this is where a lot of parents fight with their kids where they, we know they want it, but only in a certain window and then they fight and then they stop and they don't want it. What I tell kids, just like I just told the parent, like you got to stay in your lane. I tell your kids, it's really simple. When you ask yourself, you wake up every morning, you say, am I living on the green line based upon what my goals are? Remember that goal is whatever it is. You, you said an athlete, girl, boy, doesn't matter who came to me, doesn't matter the sport, they had a goal. So whatever that goal is, are they living on the green line? The way that you figure that out is simple. That green line decision is based on if I'm asking my parent for something, meaning I'm coming to the table, I'm prepared, right? I'm doing it, right? That amber line, the yellow line, the indecision line is the parents asking you, did you take out the garbage? Did you bring your cleats? Are you ready? Did you eat? Come on, bring your water. Then asking you those things. Red line decisions most of the time are when parents are in, and kids are fighting, when there's actual conflict associated with what's going on in their, in their dynamic in the relationship. So if there's an actual argument, if there's a discussion. And you could take that... Um, athlete parent relationship and move it right to athlete teacher. If you're asking the teacher for help, that's a green line decision. Even if you're not that good at the class, but you're just asking, you're proactively doing something. If the teacher's asking you, hey, come on, Johnny, like, could you get your stuff in, please? I've asked you numerous times. That's a, that's an amber yellow line decision, right? Indecision, you know, inconsistency. Conflict. You said one thing, I said another thing. I didn't do my job. This is a problem with a teacher. Listen, you made a major mistake. There's an issue. That's a red line decision. Those are conflicts that are going to cause problems. And the gap over time, it doesn't look like much in the beginning, right? The difference between a red, yellow, and green line to the athlete's progress is not that much. And then what happens is, is there's this kind of critical tipping point, super compensation, whatever you want to use from a training perspective, that it just talks about life and how decisions are made over time and the compounding effect that starts to separate and it becomes too hard to jump lines to make, to go from a red line to a green line. It just comes too hard. It's too hard because the decisions that you've made every day have got to the point where you're so far in a gap to reach where you want to go. But we already know the inevitables there. We're going to reach the end of the year. It's just a matter of, are you asking for help? Are they asking you to get your shit together? Or are you fighting about what's not getting done and where you said you want to be? The only conflict that you, you see regularly is when an, a person says they want something and their actions do not align with it. That's where you see the majority of conflicts in social dynamics. I'm saying I want something, but my actions do not align with that at all. I and want I to be a morning person, but I don't wake up. It's not that hard. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. So I get it. I just, I, I find it funny because, uh, and, I, and I think you're spot on exactly dead on with this. It's, it's as Jeremy Boone says, it's about stacking wins daily. You know, it's about, and, and what I tell the, the people that I work with and the athletes and, and the clients that I work with, consistency is king. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, you're motivated right now to do this. 
you're motivated. But that at some point, that motivation is going to go away. Are you disciplined to come in and do it on the days that you don't want to be there? And you're going to have a lot of emotional swings when you reach a certain level and then something goes wrong. So where you see it at the highest level is in injuries, right? Where an athlete gets an injury. And, and that's why most coaches have had some sort of hardships in their athletic careers because they've understood the best lessons is working through and overcoming some of those adversities. So they've worked through it, right? You know, and it's, it's the concept of, you know, you don't win and you lose, you win and you learn. And then you have to be able to take that and be okay with it. Um, there's a lesson in everything. But one of the things about losing is it humbles you really quickly. Because whether you say that you're better than that person or not, and you might know that you're better than that person or not, on that day and age, you know, he caught you. And, and it happens, right? I've been in environments where, hey, I've just gotten caught. Like, I am that much better than that guy. But guess what? On that day, I, I, I ate up my buffer and he caught me. And it is what it is. And then the most important part is the next hours or couple of days after, what are you going to do with that feeling? You know, are you going to analyze from, you know, almost like scientific point of view, stepping back and just observing what happened and then trying to fix it? Or are you going to wallow in your misery? And that's and everyone gives these, like these pieces of advice as coaches, but they don't say anything practical. So I'm going to say, here's one of my practical problems that I personally have as an athlete and as a coach, one more, I got that. Let me do it again. And that's the, that's where I, I struggle. It's that I know let's whether it be, you know, it's one more round, whether it be one more drill, one more exercise, one more rep. That's where I see the majority of kids get hurt. That's the, the majority of problems that I've dealt with in my career is that looks so good. Let's do it again. And let's push it like, wait, that looks so good. Let's finish on that good note. And we oftentimes push the limits in positive environments versus pushing the limits in negative environments. Like we understand that you have to like dig deep when things aren't going well. But if you start digging deep when things are going perfect, that's when you could run the wheels off. And I, and it's because what happens is, is when, when, when you're doing that, you're making a decision from your ego versus making a decision from the, the, the outcome that you want to accomplish because you've already accomplished the outcome, except you just want more. But if you thought about it and you, and you back up, at the end of the day, we still know that 24 hours is going to lapse. And that was a green line decision. And then after I've already won it, I then go ahead and make another decision that takes the day from a green line to a red line. And unfortunately, when you start dealing with that, it becomes catastrophic. So that's a practical thing that I struggle with in my own life, athletically and coaching, that I think as coaches and athletes, you could look at that and go, okay, I, I, I hear what he's saying. It makes sense. And I think for a lot of coaches uh, that just heard what Coach Calf said, it's like, you know, if you did accomplish what you wanted to accomplish that day, you don't need to do more. I mean, there is a specific point where it does need to be shut down and let the athlete go home, eat, rest, recover, so that they can come back another day. You know? <laughs> I'm a big, you know, in football, I learned, um, is one of the things I hated, I'm a defensive guy. So the offensive coordinators, I mean, it didn't matter what level I played at. And I saw it at every damn level and it drove me nuts. We shut them down. Like I look at the defense guys, like we're going to lock these guys down. I'm going to piss this coordinator off today. I want to piss off the offensive line coach. Like I want to do something to bother him. And, and what does he say? All right, one more rep. We got to get it right. Run it again, run it again, run it again. 
It's like, wait a second, we, we, we did our job. It's your guys that get to run it again because they screwed up. So then they get to leave on a high because they finally like beat coverage because of one thing that we've been doing. I mean, it took you six plays just to break one off on us. So we don't get the credit. So that means that half the team has to leave with this idea that that no matter what they do, it's still not good enough because they're, they're going to get broken open. So you're teaching the defense lessons that no matter how much they stop them, no matter how much they stop them, they call a timeout, they change the shifts, they do something, they're going to be able to break one off on you. But you're not thinking about that because you're an offensive coordinator. You're selfish. And, so, you, and, and, and for those that don't know, you don't get six downs. Exactly. And what ends up happening, what happens is you've ingrained that into the athlete where if they make a mistake, they get, let's finish on one good rep. Let's finish on a good rep. So I've gotten to the habit, ha habit of an athlete drops a ball. All right, you're done for the day. Like that was the last rep. No coach, I got to get another one. Like we'll come back tomorrow because you ain't going to get it today. And, and it's amazing what that does. Cause you're like, well, wait a second. You're telling me that I have to leave like this. Because now I basically said, you have to deal with what, what happens when you drop something at the, at the end of the play. You have to deal with that. And I would much prefer the athlete to be taught how to deal with that in practice than deal with that on a national stage and then the media has got a mic in front of them. Because we do, you wonder why they, they, they get all this pressure on them and they feel certain ways because you never let an athlete do that in practice. For years, you said, one more rep, let's finish on a good rep. Hey, that's sloppy. That's shit. You have to live with that defense. You won today. End of story. Let's go. And not superficially won. Like real. This is what took place. And I think all too often, what we run into is a coach basically saying, we got to end on a good note. And if you don't end on a good note, now we don't know how to deal with that. And that's a problem. And, you, and, and I'll just, I'll make this anecdotal because it's going on. You got the European uh, soccer championships going on and uh, the number one team, well, number two team, Belgium, I guess, technically is the number one team in the world right now, but France, France is pretty good at, at playing soccer. And one of their best players, Mbappe, it was in penalty kicks and they were, they were down five, four. So it was on his foot and the, the goalie made the save. Yeah, but they yep. say every they, they literally say he screwed it up. <laughs> exactly. He didn't lose the game. How about the goal? He saved the damn ball. Because how about it's how about, a 50 -50 how, about chance, was up, how about France was up two with 10 minutes to go? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it was they didn't lose because of Mbappe. They probably they probably played pretty good because they of it. wouldn't him. be there if it weren't for him, though. But people forget about that. <laughs> you know, and not to mention, right? You, you know, you talked about the number one, number two team, like they're all incredible at what they do. Yes. We forget the gap. We really do. Like as, as coaches and people that work, like I, I'm fortunate to work in this 1% gap, right? I am, you know, elite level athletes have elite level problems and it's very rare to find someone that could actually spot them or fix them. The solutions are not common. The solutions are not general. The solutions are extremely rare and are and very, very specific and very contextual. And it's very hard to find someone that can see it, identify it, and then actually have a solution for it. But what you run into is someone saying, this is the solution for everything. But yeah, it's the solution because you're already, you're slow. I don't work with slow athletes. <laughs> I'm trying to fix, I went from 10.01 to 9.9 to 9.98. Like that's a different conversation. Right. I'm trying to take a guy from nine, seven to nine, six. Like it's a different conversation. 
you're trying to take a guy that's running 11-4. Like we have different problems. We just live in a world with different problems. So the things that I see and the things that you see are just different. The things that I need to fix, you know, are different than what you need to fix. And you could get into the technical model. Like when people start saying, like, this is a common thing in speed training where they say, you know, hey, everything's got to be front side perfect. Well, I don't know if you know this, but you're dealing with front side problems because you're dealing with slow people. Slow people have front side problems. Fast people have backside problems. You don't think backside is important because you don't train anybody fast. So you never see those problems. I just happen to see those problems more often than the ones you see because I don't deal in your line of work. I deal in a line of work where, you know, when they're on the line, money's on the line. When they're on the line, legacy's on the line. You deal in a line of work when, when they're on the line, they're trying to get in. They're trying to play. I'm not dealing with that. So we operate from a completely different, you know, perspective. And that's what changes my coaching is that I'm dealing with different people, different athletes, different circumstances, but yet generally speaking, it doesn't fit the 99% of the world of, of people that are working and are interested in this sort of thing. So I don't become the, the, the marketing trending coach. I become the person that's like disagreeing with everybody. And it's, I'm not disagreeing with you. You just have completely different circumstances. And I, and I know you've probably seen it because it's been posted all over the world. Well, all over on social media is that you've seen Bolt uh, quote, you know, I trained four years to run nine seconds. And people nowadays are worried that they don't, they haven't made their goals over a two month period and, and they give up. It's like, yeah, you're dealing with the person that's been training the last five years to run, to run under nine seconds. Yeah. And, and, you know, if an athlete that, you know, the two of the athletes are training partners with Usain Bolt and beat them on a regular basis. And it's just a matter of like putting things on the line. And I, I can tell you right now, there's a difference between, you know, when you have that talent, you have a little bit of a buffer, right? So it's nice to say those quotes. It's nice to do those things. It's nice to say that after, right? <laughs> yeah. And during that, during those moments, I have stories that I can tell you of the person that said, Hey, listen, I have to drag him out of bed to work because he don't want to work but he's got all the talent in the world. And sometimes that's the coach's job is to take this talent and, and, and get him to a certain level. I have an athlete right now. I don't have to drag out of, out of bed. I don't have to you gotta get him to have to work. It's the, they're overcoming the buffer of where their talent was not, is not there. So don't think for like Usain has, has immense God given world-class talent, but he don't have that work, work world-class uh, work ethic. And the thing is, the world don't see that because the end result is the best in the world. And I get it. But there's a whole bunch of other people that had to close that gap because they weren't given something. I'm not saying he didn't work for it, but the difficulty in order to accomplish um, the level from other people, uh, they had to come from a chasing perspective. They had to go get it. Um, and luckily enough for, for him, he had people in his life that dragged him to those environments that I'm not going to let you not do this and fill your potential, which normally, right, turns into the person you can't stand and then the person you thank the most later in your life. And that's what a coach's role is. Or, or you make the mistake after you achieve your goals that you get rid of those people that were around you. Been there, been there, been there. And it's, uh, that's a tough and, and, and sensitive subject for me because there's so much that goes in that people don't know about in the coaching world. Um, there's so much um, that, that happens that athletes don't see uh, because they don't understand and they're not even allowed to know, you know, some of the politics that goes on, 
you know, you talk about like U.S. trials. There was um, there was like three athletes that got um, that ran from one lane to another lane, right? Which means you're pretty much DQ'd. Um, there's one athlete that um, touched, like literally just stepped on the lane once and was DQ'd, but the other three weren't. Hmm. Why? Like, but but it's so black and white. And the reason why is, well, those other three have political agendas and people that actually do work for them, right? And make sure that that wasn't happening. And a coach was flipping over tables to, to, um, to make sure that they, they didn't screw these kids. And then unfortunately in that one kid, he didn't have a, a person that was flipping over tables or had the pool to do those things to make that happen. Is it unfair? Yes, but I don't, like it wasn't fault to the other athletes that they, you know, hit a lane too. It's just part of the game. And unfortunately, one of the parts of the game in, in the coaching role is to do those jobs that are a little dirty um, to make sure that your athlete has an advantage, as long as it's within the lines. I'm not saying to do anything that's wrong. But I've, I can't tell you how many times on the sideline where I've had to take one for the team because I have to like chew out a ref, you know, and then I have to come back and let my head coach or let someone else go over to them and be like, listen, listen, I got it. You know, like I'll calm them down. And we're setting it up. Like it's just part of the, this part of the deal. Right. And then two seconds later, we get a call back. Right. And we know what that's like. And we, and we, I look at the coach and he chews me out. And I, and I, and afterwards, when we're done, he's just like, that was a good one. And he's like, cheers. Thanks. But <laughs> to the public, no one can see that. And then on the newspapers and everything else, we get basically written up about, you know, how we acted or whatever we did. And this type of personality, you know, creates this result. And I thank God that the coach covered his butt and all this other stuff. Like that's the role. That's why the get back coach or the, they all talk about it being ridiculous because the, 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 the strength coach is doing it. He needs to be a loud guy because it needs to make sure that that ref knows that he means business. Coach, that coach could care less. You know, he's just like, listen, you can pull me back. You can do whatever you want. I'm still getting my paycheck. I'm still in charge. Don't piss me off. Right. Yeah. Just so don't get like, just uh, just don't get us a fifteen yard penalty. Exactly. And it's <laughs> there's so much of all of these things that athletes don't see, the world doesn't see, the newspapers write, they have no idea about, and because of that, because they don't understand it, they really can't appreciate it. The ones that appreciate it are the ones that just go, I know deep down in my heart that as a coach, you're going to take care of me and you're going to do what's right for me. And they just, they have this kind of like blind trust a little bit because they put the work in. It's not truly blind. The actions are there. What's blind is the fact that I don't understand this decision, but I trust you. That's the, that's where trust comes in. Well, and I think when I'm, when I'm dealing with, when, when I'm dealing with high school, when I'm working with high school and collegiate and even professional athletes, I tell them, listen, I'm going to treat you like you're one of my own children. So like, no, I have your best interest at heart. And like you said at the beginning, if if it doesn't line up, if your actions don't line up to where you want to get to, then then that's where we're going to have a problem. And that's that's all I see, and that's the only thing I care about. Coach, let's talk to uh, the ninety nine percent right now. Sure. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta it's, a rare, it's a rare place for me. I'll be blunt. That's a rare place for me. Well, I mean, that, I mean, that's the whole idea of our podcast. You know, we're we're trying to take people like you and the knowledge that you have and you know carry that down to the bigger portion of people you know that 99 percent. there's kids in there that that got dreams and like you said they've got that world-class work worth that ethic right 
sixth, seventh, eighth grade high school kids, they got a dream to play in college or beyond. Mm -hmm. Besides working on their game, what should they be doing to enhance their physical body to become a better athlete? Uh, and, should... and, and, I, and I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to this. I, I ask this question a lot, but I'm going to add to this because you brought up the parents because it's an important part of the ecosystem of the athlete. Sure. How should the parents be acting in this as well? So I'm going to kind of give you a complete answer instead of just um, directed to the physical aspect. If you say an athlete wants to, uh, that's a middle school, high school kid that wants to go to college, there's, you have to look at three components, right? The recruiting process or the academic admission or athletic admission process has um, three main components. The first component is um, academics. Without your grades, you can't get in. Like you just can't. The, there's, there's no way around that because even if there is a way around it, when you circumvent that, there's just processes of test scores. There's another, there's other aspects associated with it. So that's the like foundation, right? Is academics. The second one is athletics. And then the third is social. So in the academic side, you have your GPA, you have your test scores, and you add those together. And that gives you what, what, what's called your your academic index. Your academic index tells you where you'll fall on certain curves or in certain bands based upon those conferences or divisions at the college level. At the athletic side, you have your player profile, right? Which is basically your, um, your stats, like how you look, your size, all that stuff, right? Um, you have your um, game film, which is the eye in the sky, don't lie. How you play, how you handle those things. And then you have your camps, right? How you show up at a combine, what are your, your measurables that create maybe, the, that close the gap on maybe something that you don't do in other areas of your game field. And that's your athletic side. All together, that creates an athletic profile based upon current and potential, right? And that's what they look at. The social component are the three pleas. So player profile, basically meaning um, who you are, having all that information your presentation when you show up how do you look how do you dress how do you shake a coach's hand how do you talk to a coach and then the third is your presence when i uh when i go online and i look you up whether it be on 24 7 sports or espn or rivals or whatever it may be or on your social media how do you show up is it congruent with what i want to recruit those components together create the, the schools that you could potentially get into and the schools that are gonna potentially recruit you. So you have to understand that you can't leave too many boxes unchecked. Now, carving out that Venn diagram and just focusing solely on the physical or the athletic you know, area of it, you may not have the size or speed or strength to achieve the the goals that you want right now but you know i know five ten linebackers that are all americans that are in the nfl so when you say that kid can't do it like well that's interesting because you just said something's impossible that's actually at the highest level has actually already been done and i think so many people just have this idea because they're naysayers they couldn't do it so therefore you couldn't do it i've not met one high school kid that desires to play college level that could not find a school that he wanted to go to division three to division one i've not i haven't found one and i've seen some kids that cannot tie their shoes and they're that unathletic 
they look like melted candles when they like stand up or walk. And I can tell you with discipline and hard work, they could go play college football somewhere. That may not be Alabama. You know, I had a kid that came to me with a dream that he wanted to play at Alabama. Parents went to Alabama. He wanted to play at Alabama. One of the hardest working kids I've ever met. I mean, this kid, I would put, I would take my shirt off and give it to him. He's that good of a kid. Came to me when he was a baby, you know, I think eighth grade and seventh grade, maybe going into eighth grade, you know, that summer. And uh, he graduated college this year and he didn't go to Alabama. I could have got him to walk on to Alabama and potentially, you know, been there for, you know, four years and graduated. He went to Hampton, Sydney, division three school. He was an all American. He was the captain of the football team. He was class president. That kid had one of the best college football experience he could ever ask for. He was a stud at that level. He would have been a literally a practice dummy at Alabama. And you've also, you also, what you, what you've done is you've prepared him for life. And that kid, I, I would hire that kid if I could, he'd I'll probably end up working for him one day. He's just that type of kid. But the, what he did is he set his sights on a certain place and then found the right fit for him. But he set his sights there. He wanted to be at Alabama. So he created an Alabama football work ethic. And he landed exactly where, not just his talents, but collectively where he was going to fit. And he started as a freshman, played every single game all the way through his senior year and was an All-American and captain of the football team. And that's incredible. Well, and that, and, and that's, and I think that's what uh, young coaches need to understand. Like it's okay for the athletes that come to you to have those high expectations, but at some point, and they can still have that, that incredible, that incredible um, experience, but maybe not at that certain area. Absolutely. I have another kid that has this, had the dream to play at a certain school and, and, and he had multiple offers at one double A levels and he wanted to go to Oregon and he's at Oregon and I shit you not, he's getting played in time. And it's crazy. Cause he, if you would have, I said like, Hey, it's going to be tough. You know what I mean? We can make this happen, but it's going to be tough. He's going to get playing time and he's going to have a great experience. It's unbelievable. You'd be surprised on what kids could accomplish if you just give them a taste of it. It's unbelievable what they could do. So I don't ever, I'm never gonna be a dream killer. Um, I'm too big of a jerk, you know, on every other part of my area of life that I can't be a dream killer too. So making the impossible real is something that I love to do. It's actually like, those are my pet projects. So I have my business, but then I choose the particular pet project. The pet projects are the ones that are just the impossibles and we make them happen. And I love it. It's like one of my favorite things to do. So getting back to the physical things of what an athlete can do, right? The X's and O's, the tactical strategies. You look at, you know, there's technical, tactical, physical, right? There's a psychological integration that happens with every single component, right? That's why I don't look at it as a co-active because it's in every area. It's, it all works together, psychological. Physical qualities, you have strength, speed, flexibility, endurance in no particular order. Those um, qualities have neurological and biological timelines that are the, going to be able to be enhanced. So when an athlete rushes the process, you potentially hinder it, the, the outcome long-term. So I'm very important on staying on the kind of like the biological timeline. I was an early developer. I was, you know, I was 5'11", 
220 pounds by the time I was a sophomore in high school, right? Uh, my dad is my same height. My grandfather's 6'9", right? Big old Irish guy. So you're expecting, oh, this guy's going to be way further. Than, like my dad was like 5'6", his senior year, 5'7", and then bloomed later. So they thought, man, I was going to bloom later. But by the time I was my sophomore year, I pretty much hit my cap. So I was an early developer. And athletes you'll find are some, some are early and some are, are, are uh, late bloomers. So I don't want to rush the clock a little bit. I believe that you pull the rubber band back so that the further you have it back, the more you can load it. Um, so a lot of athletes will rush the weight room. Uh, the one thing I will tell you is if you put the time in the weight room, it works. I've never met a, I've never met a, 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 a weak kid that couldn't get stronger. And I've never met a strong kid that just showed up strong in the weight room. I had like farm boy strength a little bit. My, you know, I worked on the yard a lot. I growing up, I had to do a lot of manual labor. And my first time I ever bench press was actually at a combine at the university of Miami coaches like, Oh, we, you know, minimum rep is 185. Who could do it? I mean, I couldn't do it, but I raised my hand. I could do it, you know, and I got underneath the bar and I repped it 17 times. First time I ever bench pressed my entire life. Right. If I did that now, I'd probably get crushed, but <laughs> I had, you know, just farm boy strength. I had, I basically worked a lot, you know, in an environment where I was generally strong for my body. Nowadays, the weight room is a requirement at the college level. So you've got to put that in. And when you put that time in, you'll see it get better. It's amazing that it's just a flexibility and strength are the two areas that are so clearly like results driven that if you just put the time in, they automatically get better. I've never seen anybody um, like just do one exercise the same all the time and, and never get better. Like they always get better. I've never seen anybody stretch and not get better. They always get better. They just don't want to put the time in because they, they're long, they're, they, they happen over long periods of time, right? Speed, you could fix pretty quickly because most people are technically inefficient. So then you start working with whatever their capabilities are and you can, and you can fix them in a good technical model. Endurance needs to be extremely specific to their sport, right? You know, you take somebody who is a, um, in great shape, cross country runner, whatever you might call it, that uses a system and then you put them in a boxing ring, they're gonna be dead. You put a boxer and you grab them and like a wrestler and they'll be dead too. So conditioning or endurance work is so specific to the sport that I don't even worry about it. I let, I let the process of the sport take that over. I'm prepared for the demands, but you let the sport take care of most of that. For a younger athlete, um, if I had to give them basic habits that I would want them to see that would enhance strength, speed, or flexibility immediately, it would be uh, making sure that they're eating three square meals a day, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, making sure that they're drinking a lot of water. Um, making sure that they are um, outside of their sport physically active. Nowadays, kids are inside. They don't get sunlight. They don't get any sort of other activity. You know, I'm from Miami. When, when we got sick, we went to the water. That's how we actually got better. Nowadays, if you're sick, they all oh, stay inside, get black and do, like cover. I was like, oh my God, well, that you're destroying your system. So you'll, it's amazing that your system is not suppressed um, from like something short. Your system gets suppressed from long duration of work, right? 
And that's what takes place is, and that's what we're doing to our kids. We're feeding them shitty foods. We're putting them in pat, bad environments. And then the worst thing is, is that we, we put them in a sporting environment where the adult pay, plays a political game with the kid. And now we're messing, messing with them emotionally. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't ask for the, a catastrophe. Like that is one ready to happen. So I think environmental energy is critical for athlete success. So keeping people around positive people, but that are honest, right? So most people would never tell you, yeah, Cav's a super nice guy. You know, Kavanaugh's like always positive. He's always going to look at like what you can do. No, but they're never going to tell you, uh, I don't know where I stand with him. They're always going to say he was direct to my face, exactly what, you know, what's going on. Because I don't deal in that world. I deal in a world where shit's on the line. So they know what they're going to get. And I don't have time to work on that other stuff. But if I work with an athlete for the first time, my goal is to change their life at some capacity. So the easiest way I can do that is mentally and say, hey, listen, you can do this. You could accomplish this. Now here's the plan. And then if I give them the plan and they don't do it, that's up to them. You know, I, you know but I want to at least show them a little bit of a path. So sleep, nutrition, um, hydration is critical, environmental, right? And then the last thing, um, that I think is critical, which I was referring to, is the positive energy of people around them. As a parent, you know, you don't get to choose, um, you know, what you went through when you were younger, because that was your parents' job. And now you have this opportunity to work with your kids and help them guide them. Your job is to play chess master and put the right pieces in play. So if you, if your kid is having a tough go at it, and I'm not saying that you have to always protect them and put them in a bubble wrap, but what, if, if they're not being treated fairly and you don't clearly understand the roles, then it's your job to put them in an environment that is going to make your kids successful. That is your job. It's not your job to do the work, but it is your absolute responsibility to put them in an environment for them to be successful. This is why the martial arts win. This is why it's so rare for younger kids to go into martial arts nowadays is because compared to the way it was maybe when we grow up. When we grew up, it was just like, well, pick a martial arts, you're going to do one of them. Like it was, just, it was just pick one. You're going to do one. And the reason why is because at the core level, any martial art um, has something that most other sports don't have. And that is, it has a season of life versus uh, a traditional um, social sport like soccer, football, basketball, baseball has a season it has a yearly cycle of a season. A martial art season is your life cycle, is your personal life. So imagine you're saying, what's the season of my wins and loss record? What's my win and loss record this season? That's a good, when are you going to die? That's the definition of martial arts and the process in which you go through. So the thought process is different, right? What happens when you get your black belt? What, so if a parent tells you, like I, one of my rules for parents or in athletes is like, you can't quit. Now that doesn't mean that you can't stop doing something. It just means that I don't want you to quit while you're in the sport, because even if, even if I need to take you out because of whatever reason, let's, let's, let's make sure that we learn something from this experience, right? You know, we don't want to be a grasshopper, but let's look at that in the martial arts setting. In the martial arts setting, you the main goal that people aspire to when it comes to superficial work is a black belt. And this is in any martial arts. It's just this idea that you've reached a mastery level of your work. But 
in the in the language of martial arts, like the culture of martial arts, and it could be judo, jujitsu, karate, boxing, doesn't matter what the language is or what, what the discipline is. The language of a black belt is now I'm ready to learn. Right. <laughs> like, so it's, you, you put all this time into accomplish this goal, but the goal is actually the ability to learn. So the seasons are different. And I encourage parents, I encourage parents to, to take that approach and saying, hey, like this is their, like what are they getting out of it from a life cycle standpoint of this season? And then approach it that way. I think it would be more beneficial. We'll have a lot more success in sports. We'll be able to, to change lives. Like I believe everyone has the, uh, the, the, everyone should have the ability to be coached like a champion. Because if they have a desire to, to achieve that, they, they should have that ability. And you'll never be able to achieve your potential if you're hurt, you're burnout, or you don't get the guidance that you need. So it's my job, and because I've taken on that role, like that is my title to become a guide for people. And, and then I wanna be, I wanna basically, where my job ends is when I've educated the athlete to become their own autonomous driver and they are their own guide. So my life cycle with an athlete is the minute that my guide, right, my role as a coach is actually built in them. So every day I'm trying to chip away a little bit of me into them so that they can self-regulate. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. And the other thing I would add to the whole martial arts equation, and I'm sure what you're doing is that sports ends at some point, but you still have this physical body that you need to take care of. So everything that you're learning from your strength coaches or in martial arts is going to go beyond the end of sports. Sure. Absolutely. And, and what's really important is the society that we're in has bought into this idea of fixing people, but most people aren't broken to begin with. I get broken athletes now because of the state in which I am in my career and they want to go pursue, they want to go pursue new goals and, and new ambitions. But younger athletes are, are, are broken by the terminology that we use when we, when we bring them and it starts to ingrain into their head. You're not broken and you could develop them into anything you want. So, you know, be, be a piece of clay and, and, and mold them into an incredible athlete. Don't say, hey, you're broken because that means that we actually have a problem. We have to fix you. You're not fixing them. You're just, you're just giving them a little bit more guidance so that they can get to where they want to be. Remember what your role is. Your job is to serve as a coach. Your job is not to look at me, you know, been to, this will be my fifth Olympic cycle and uh, had a lot of athletes come home with medals, but I've never stood on a podium. There's not enough space for a coach and the athlete. Coach Cav, it's been a pleasure talking with you this morning. Um, I got a final question. Where's coach Cav going to be in one year? Where are you going to be in three? Where are you going to be in five? And where are you going to be in 10? All right, so I'll answer this with this. Um, <laughs> COVID hurt a lot of people. Business, personally, changed a lot of things for a lot of people. We shut our facility down, um, and I, I've been able to concentrate on solely some of my elite athletes, like my elite of my elite athletes, and do some private work and do this journey with the Olympics, which has been great. But um, what didn't suffer is my four-year-old son and my, my relationship with my wife. And I, and I can say that with confidence because we've gotten closer and it's been way better than it was even a year ago. 
in the midst of all of this craziness. And you have to make priority decisions. You have to make decisions based upon what's important to you. And the circumstances um, could have been very advantageous for me to actually excel in business because of the opportunity. And I made a decision that what I wanted to excel in is in my, not just leader of the uh, community of athletes that I work with, but I wanted to be the leader and the health leader of my family. And we had to make that decision. And my wife and I did it together and it was a joint effort and it absolutely has worked. So I'm not going to change that. So a year from now, I'll have a five-year-old son. And <laughs> I want to be making sure that I double down because I know that things are going to change. I know that with um, a new facility coming up and another cycle and everything else going on, I know things are going to change and I'm excited for those opportunities. Um, so that's where I hope to be. Um, I leave it in God's hands, but I put the work in, right? It says in um, James 23, faith without work is dead. So I'll have faith, but I'm going to work my tail off. You know, and I'll be the first one to tell you that as I did a podcast uh, a few weeks ago with a good friend of mine, coach Dave Bricks, and he goes, who's the leaders that you look up to nowadays? I said, man, it's tough. Um, and the majority of mine are in my circle. So nobody in the, in the, in the ecosystem of podcasting is going to know about them because I keep them pretty private. But, you know, I look at the history, I look at our past and Jesus is our, our greatest example of leadership. And I'm never going to be, you know, a, a, a pastor at, at a pulpit, you know, presenting and pre preaching to the world. So my, my platform happens to be sports. So that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to continue to do and empower as we, you know, lead more kids every single day. That's my goal. Awesome. Well, Coach Rod, thank you for coming on. And uh, I think, I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface with you. I think there's a lot more. So if uh, you want to come on again, let us know. We'd be happy to have you. Where It'd be an people, honor. Where can people uh, contact you, find you, website, socials, that type of thing? Easiest place to find me is Instagram. It's just Coach Cav, K-A-V. I am the most active, and I'm going to explain it so I don't just pay social media. I'm explaining it. I like to see, like, so if someone reaches out to me, which normally it's going to go to spam and then I have to like find it. Right. But if someone reaches out, which it means if you don't hear from me, I'm not big timing you. Right. Just reach out to me again. Call me out. I had someone call me out the other day. I'm like, dude, I didn't get it. Um, or, Hey man, my bad. I totally dropped the ball. I'm busy. Um, but so reach out to me again. What I'd say is this. One of the things that Instagram allows that Twitter doesn't show one of the things that Instagram allows that doesn't necessarily be Facebook is, or Instagram allows is, I could see what's going on in your life. So like there's this kind of image into some day-to-day -day activity so that there's context to coaching. So when you reach out to me, you could see kind of what's going on. And it's kind of weird that we could create this kind of um, the cable man uh, like lifestyle where they can see what we're doing. None of the young coaches are going to get the reference, but, <laughs> but um, they're going to create this kind of like show, right. Where we're all, where, where, what's going on, but that allows context. And I cannot tell you how many athletes and or coaches that I know that I love and I care about that. I'll tell you, if I didn't see your, if I don't see your face, I would not know anything, you know? And um this allows me to do that. So it allows us to actually have a conversation. I think it's wonderful. So I like that. Obviously websites, um, athlete HQ, we have a number of them, coachcab.com that are available. I think the priority though is, is, is direct connection. And I, I open that line to people on Instagram. And what's the name of the book? Man up 
so it's probably going to be canceled in today's day and age culture but basically it was, <laughs> uh, you know a, it was it's a come to jesus meeting if you read it it's an hour long and um it, it basically is saying if you're not where you want to be as an athlete what do you do here's the plan now, 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 now put the plane in action. And I can't do the work for you. Plus it wouldn't be fun if someone did the work for you. Yeah. No. So that's the way I look at it, but I appreciate the message that you guys are getting out to the world. It needs to be more of that mark. Um, if, 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 if not every single person uh, you've ever met doesn't know this, um, they need to, and, and your energy and your wisdom is, is super important. Chris, it's been a pleasure to meet you, but spending some time with Mark over the years and just his positive message that goes out there does not go unnoticed. It goes very, it's very noticed and it's timely, ironically. It's always energy driven. It's always the world basically saying, hey, someone's watching and you're doing good work. So Mark, I appreciate it. Don't ever think for a second that I don't, I don't see it. It means a lot Look to I, coach, you just gave me goosebumps. Um, but, you know, people make fun of the emojis, but I'll always put them up there because, <laughs> I mean, people got to know that, you know, I do appreciate, I do appreciate people like yourself that, you know, are raising the bar for our profession and, and not only impacting our profession, but impacting people's lives on a daily, weekly, yearly, and a lifespan. And, and I totally appreciate everything that you do and, and your friendship. So, Hopefully we can continue to have that grow. And for those people that haven't haven't reached out to Coach Cav or don't follow him, please follow him. He is one of the best in the profession. And as he told you at the beginning, he still views himself as a rookie in the profession, but he is so much more than a rookie. I will guarantee you that he is an all-star. I appreciate it. And, and when it's real, it's welcomed. So if someone doesn't like it, they're, they're just probably not as real as they thought they were. <laughs> Coach, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, we are on Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, <laughs> Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, YouTube. If you want to be on the show, email us, info at athletehackers.com. My name's Chris Schrade. Thanks for turning in today. My, ma my name is Mark Spellman, and as always, we are the Athlete Hackers. Appreciate you listening. All my best. God bless. Peace. Peace.